are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Wednesday, January 5th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, that's at Talk and Hockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please, please, please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It'll only take a quick couple of seconds. It'll help me out tremendously, and it's all for free. Wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right, good morning, everyone, and as always, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here to start off your day. Last night, the Chicago Blackhawks were back in action, taking on the Colorado Avalanche, one of the top teams in not only the Western Conference, but also the entire NHL. And aside from that first period, the Blackhawks went toe-to-toe with a Stanley Cup contender in the final 40 minutes. Unfortunately, they still came out on the wrong end of the final outcome, coming up a little short, losing by a score of 4-3 to in overtime. But on the show today, I'll break down everything and go over a full recap of the contest and talk about the Blackhawks' impressive fight in those final two periods. I'll also talk about Marc-Andre Fleury and his stellar performance in net and his return from COVID-19 protocol. I'll also talk about Alex Dabrinkit already hitting 20 goals on the season, plus the Hawks' losing streak now reaching five games and what that means going forward. All that and more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. For the first segment today this morning, though, folks, let's start out with some overall thoughts on the Blackhawks' contest last night against the Avs. As I've already mentioned, an elite Stanley Cup contender that has a roster filled with talent, I mean, Nathan McKinnon, Miku Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, Nazem Kadri, Kale McCarr, oh my gosh. I mean, the list goes on and on with all the talent that they have on that roster. And in the final two periods of last night's game, the second and third period, final two periods of regulation, I should say, the Blackhawks were right there with Colorado, if not playing better. I mean... It was definitely one of their top performances of the season, despite still losing the game. I thought they played pretty good overall. You know, they forechecked hard. They moved the puck well. They didn't quit on themselves. They also, I thought it was very important, they didn't give up very many odd man rushes or high-quality chances or anything in transition. And it also definitely helps when uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is back there doing his doing his thing in net, stopping basically everything he can get his eyes on. Um, But those opening 20 minutes, folks, that first period was terrible. I mean, it was not even close to the start that the Blackhawks wanted to get off to, especially after getting blown out over the weekend against both Nashville and Calgary. And after that first period last night, it was like, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, Eric Johnson kicked off the scoring 
by beating Flurry with a shot through traffic. That made it one to nothing. No real chance there for Flurry. I think he was screened by like three different guys. Uh, and then a couple of minutes later, Alex Newhook made it two to nothing with a nice move to the backhand after a turnover by the Blackhawks in their own zone. Caleb Jones coughs it up and got caught up high trying to jump up into the play and transition. I also thought uh, Henrik Borgstrom didn't provide enough help from that weak side when Colorado got that little three-on-two once the Hawks turned the puck over. But regardless, that puck definitely should have got out of the defensive zone. And just like that, after a costly mistake, it's two-to-nothing avalanche. And again, I I think everyone was thinking, ugh, here we go again. But I was very pleasantly surprised by the performance the rest of the way from the Hawks. They battled hard. Like, it was a real gutsy performance against, again, one of the top teams in the entire NHL. And I'm kind of curious as to if there was like a a reason for things all of a sudden clicking right from the puck being dropped in the second period. It was like the flip of it was like a flip of the switch for the Blackhawks. Um, you know, I I wonder if like did Derek King say something during the intermission that got the boys fired up, or um, did something on the ice cause them to maybe start getting more confidence or something? I do remember. Towards uh, the end of the first period, Flurry made an incredible post-to-post save. So maybe that's what woke the boys up before the intermission. I don't know. But uh, after that first period, they played really solid hockey. And just a couple of minutes into the second, Jonathan Taze cashed in on a rebound for his fourth goal of the season. That cut the deficit to 2-1. to one. That's also Taze's uh, fourth goal in the last eight games now after going 25 in a row without a goal to start the year. And just like that, it, it was like, all right, we got some life here, down only 2-1 to one now, despite getting absolutely crushed in that first period. Um, and one thing I definitely wanted to talk about with that goal from Taze, it was created off such a simple play. Dump the puck into the offensive zone, Taze goes in and wins a battle down low. The puck eventually finds its way back up high to Seth Jones at the point. And what does he do? He takes the play that's in front of him, folks. He fires the puck on that. It takes a crazy bounce in front. You never know what the puck's going to do. Entwistle gets one whack, and then Taze is there to put home the rebound. And I just think it's really important that the Blackhawks need to keep trying to make the simple plays like this in the offensive zone. Go and win the one-on-one battles and just get the puck on net as much as possible. I talked about that on the show yesterday. I thought that was one of the biggest keys to victory, especially for the Blackhawks defensemen. Get the puck on net because you just never know what can happen. And that's a perfect example. Puck takes a crazy bounce. Ent Whistle gets one whack. He gets some good net front presence. Cause havoc in front of Darcy Kemper and Taze was there to jump on the rebound and that cut the Blackhawks deficit in half. And the rest of the second period after that goal from Taze, it's kind of funny because um, the Blackhawks, who were the ones that seemed to have control of the puck the entire time, it was basically the complete opposite of how things went in the first period. Like, that second period was really impressive overall from the Hawks. They were only able to beat uh, Darcy Kemper that one time, um, but, you know... It was just overall a really strong period from the Hawks and one of their strongest of the season. I mean, they outshot Colorado 16-7 to after getting bested 14-5 to in the opening 20 minutes. <clears throat> and a couple of other eye-opening stats that I saw, per natural stat trick, of course, 
in the second period, the Hawks led 17 to 6 in scoring chances at even strength and 11 to 1 in high danger chances. It was one of their best periods of the season, really. And that set up a huge third period at the UC with the Hawks trailing 2 to 1. And then in just the few, first few minutes of the third, Colorado threw the Hawks a bone. They took a couple of penalties. That gave them a five-on-three for over a minute. And also on the show yesterday, I discussed how the special teams, you know, not allowing Colorado to win the battle. I think I, I thought that would be such a huge key for the Hawks keeping themselves alive in this game. I said that was my number one key, was not letting Colorado dominate the special teams battle. And the power play struggles were a a big factor in the Hawks' four-game losing streak heading into last night. They were just one for their last 15 coming into the game against the Avs. And what do you know? Kanan Dabrinkit wind up hooking, hooking up for a pair of goals in just 40 seconds, and all of a sudden... The Blackhawks have a 3-2 lead. Two incredible passes from Kaner to find his good buddy to brink it. Uh, the, the first one was uh, a cross-crease pass on the 5-on-3. Debrinkit was able to beat Kemper with the one-timer. And then the second one, just 40 seconds later, Debrinkit is all good goal scorers do. Took advantage of the ice that was in front of him. He skates right down Broadway. Kane finds him in the slot and bang! 3-2 Blackhawks just like that. I was like, what is going on here? We're beating the Colorado Avalanche right now. I was mind blown. Um, <clears throat> but following those two goals from the Blackhawks, uh, in, in the final 10 minutes of the third, Colorado, that's when they finally began to, came with, uh, began to come with a, a pretty strong push. It, it took them long enough. You know, I was kind of waiting for that to happen. Uh, and I believe in the final 10 minutes of last night's game, the Blackhawks, the final... 10 minutes of regulation, I should say. Uh, the Blackhawks were held to only four shots on goal, and eventually, uh, with 11 minutes to play or so, Eric Johnson wound up having a shot from a bad angle, deflect off of Jake McCabe, and wound up finding the back of the net to tie the game 3-3. Three to three. It was such a crappy goal to tie the game, and also what sucks is uh, <clears throat> Alex Dabrinkit just about... 20 seconds prior to that game-tying goal, he got whacked up high and was actually bleeding on the Blackhawks' bench. I, I think it was a follow-through, so uh, that's why the officials didn't call it, but uh, just kind of a tough break there overall. It was nearly a four-minute man advantage for the Blackhawks right before that goal, and it actually winds up tying the score 3-3 three to three from Eric Johnson's second goal of the night. Uh, the Blackhawks <clears throat> wound up holding on to get this one into OT, thanks in large part to some real sh- sharp saves from Marc-Andre Fleury down the stretch. Um, so, for the third time in their last five games, the Hawks were able to pick up at least one point. More importantly than that, they, they showed some real strong fight and courage after getting off to that terrible start in the first period. But with an 11-17-4 record coming into the game and having lost four in a row, the Hawks really needed that comeback to be worth more than just one point, worth more than just an overtime loss, even though it is against a really good Colorado Avalanche team. The Hawks just need to be getting as many points as possible right now. But sadly, Jonathan Taze hits the post. He had a wide-open net, beat Kemper rang it off the iron, 
And then back on the other end, oh my gosh, folks, Kale McCarr, whoo, showed why he's one of the brightest talents of the future in this sport by scoring one of the dirtiest goals that you will ever see. I mean, completely left Kirby Doc in the dust with a spinorama and then goes on to beat Flurry with just an unbelievable backhand, forehand, backhand roof job. One of the highlights of the season for sure. One we're probably going to be seeing forever. I mean, it, it was absolutely ridiculous. My jaw was on the ground. An unbelievable goal by Kale McCarr. That gave the Avs a 4-3 win in overtime. And despite their incredible fight late in the game, the Blackhawks still came up short and dropped their fifth consecutive game another absolute heartbreaker at the UC and with the loss the Hawks record now drops down to 11 17 and 5 through 33 games on the season all right there is a quick recap of last night's game against Colorado coming up in just a moment I'm going to break down a few other stats and takeaways from the contest as well as how the Hawks can build off this effort going forward but first I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan because right now you can get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. In so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Will you have raspberry or mint brownie, coconut almond or double chocolate, cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie? Either way, Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or even taste like a chemical spill. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And for a limited time offer, go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use our exclusive promo code LOCKED15. That's one word, LOCKED in all caps, followed by the number 15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com with the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Moving on into segment two now on the show here this morning, I also want to get into a couple of other thoughts that I had and some notable stats and takeaways from the 4-3 loss last night to the Avs. First, again, I need to talk for at least a couple of moments here about just how special of a talent Alex DeBrinkett already is at just 24 years of age. Just turned 24 years old a couple of weeks ago as well. Still a young man. And right now, after scoring his 19th and 20th goals of the season last night, DeBrinkett is now tied with Austin Matthews and Chris Kreider for third in the NHL in goals, trailing only Leon Dreisaitl and Alex Ovechkin now. So, pretty elite company for the Cat. And with 20 goals through 33 games into the season, DeBrinckit also became the fastest Blackhawk to reach 20 goals in a season since Tony Amante did it back in 1998 in just 25 games. So even more special company all around for Alex DeBrinckit right now. And he is on pace for quite a special season, folks, if he can continue scoring at this rate. And that's the thing, folks. 
there's no reason to believe that Alex DeBrinkett will slow down because despite the Blackhawks' offense being an absolute disaster this year, DeBrinkett has been the lone player that's consistently been able to find the back of the net. The only one. Even Patrick Kane only has seven goals on the year and is now in the midst of a 10-game goal drought. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but without DeBrinkett, I don't, I don't even want to know what this Blackhawks team w- would be. The offense would definitely be the worst in the entire NHL. Uh, and one thing to consider w- with DeBrinkett's impressive year, the power play also has been pretty terrible for the most part prior to last night since Derek King took over. The power play really hasn't been good under his lead. And that also, you know, shouldn't help DeBrinkett's cause, yet here he is, you know, still finding ways to score goals consistently for the Blackhawks. And looking at his track record now, I mean, in the COVID-shortened season last year, 52 games, DeBrinkett netted 32 goals. There's certainly an argument there that, you know, in a full season, he could have reached 50, needed only 18 goals in the final 26 games of the season for that, uh, assuming he'd be able to stay healthy he definitely would have been at least somewhere into the 40s. And going back to his second year in the NHL, Dabrinka was a 40-goal scorer. He was unbelievable that season. Him, Kane, and Gustafson just absolutely went bananas. Um, There was, you know, one tough year in between those two where the Cat only scored 18 goals in 70 games, but that was just kind of an odd year for him overall. And one notable statistic from that season that was... Um, 2019-20, DeBrinckit shot just 8.7% that season. And when you take, it, take a look at his numbers for his career, his career shooting percentage is 16.1%. So that season, he shot nearly half of what he usually does. The puck just wasn't go, going in like it usually did. Uh, but other than that season, in three of his last four years now, assuming DeBrinckit will be able to keep this up going forward, he's been among the top goal scorers in the entire league. Alex Dabrinkit is a superstar, folks. And it's incredible to watch right now in front of our eyes. It's been super cool to see him develop into this. And I'm definitely excited and also hopeful that he'll be able to keep this up going forward because he could be en route to a very special and unique season for the Chicago Blackhawks. I also have to give a lot of credit to Mark andre Fleury and his effort in that last night because uh, in those stretches where Colorado did con- control the game, particularly um, early on in the contest when they had a few chances on the power play, I thought Fleury played a huge part in the PK going 2-for-2 two two in the early going. And also, um, in those final 10-15 to 15 minutes of regulation or so when Colorado finally began to come with a surge. I thought Fleury was really strong in that to keep his team alive and get that game at least into overtime and, and get a point out of it. Uh, Fleury was only credited with an 879 save percentage last night. He stopped 29 of 33 shots faced, but had it not been him being the one in net, you know, had it been uh, Lankinen or Soderblom like we saw over the weekend, uh, this probably would not have been the same game. So a big tip of the cap to Marc-Andre Fleury for his effort last night. And I also have to give a tip of the cap to the goalpost as well because Colorado, I think, they, they had at least three shots ring off the iron. The post continues to be Fleury's best friend. And uh, 
I'll never, you know, not smile watching him rub the post each and every time it helps him out. Uh, that, you know, seriously will never get old to me. Um, one other takeaway I had, I also thought the top line of Brandon Hagel, Henrik Borgstrom, and Patrick Kane had a really strong game together for the first time uh, being teamed up as the top line. And as I talked about on the show yesterday, Derek King, not only did he mix up the top line, but he mixed up all four forward lines and all three defensive pairings as well for this game against the Avalanche. Uh, Debrinkit, Taze, and Kubalik actually skated as the second line. They were kind of meh overall, I thought, although uh, they did get a little bit better as the game went on. Uh, the third line was Philip Kurashev, Kirby Doc, and Mackenzie Entwistle. They didn't do a whole lot together, and the analytics definitely were were not in their favor at all. Uh, and then the fourth line was Jujar Kara, Dylan Strom, interestingly enough, and Ryan Carpenter. And, and that trio, surprisingly, also played pretty decent together. I wasn't sure that that was going to be a, a good spot at all for Strom, um, but to my surprise, in a defensive place in the lineup, the fourth line center, uh, Strom actually did pretty well last night. He won five of eight faceoffs. He also went on to record uh, a secondary assist on Debrinket's second goal of the game when the Hawks were on the power play. So uh, good to see Strom still find a way to chip in, even though he wasn't playing the largest role for the Blackhawks last night. He did his job well, and I thought um, was responsible and definitely did his part to win the faceoffs. Uh, but getting back to my original point anyways, the top line of Hagel, Borgstrom, and, <clears throat> and Kane, excuse me, I thought was by far the Blackhawks' best of the game. And Kane, by the way, I had mentioned earlier, he's now in the midst of a 10-game goal drought after not scoring once again last night. He's still stuck on seven goals for the season, and he also hasn't scored since way back on December 4th. It's now been officially a month for Patrick Kane since he scored his last goal. But he's been getting his chances. Plenty of them, actually. Kane had a team-high five shots on goal last night, and he now has 14 total in the three games since returning from the Christmas pause. He's been getting his looks. But for whatever reason, the puck just doesn't want to go in right now. He just can't buy one. He's getting, you know, chances. He's had a couple breakaways. The puck's just bouncing everywhere on him. He's getting good looks in the offensive zone. They're just not going in. But I do think that... If Kaner keeps playing like this, it's just a matter of time. It's Patrick Kane. He, he, it's coming, right? Like, he's still playing very well. It's not like he's playing terrible out there. You know, even though he didn't score last night again, he still had two primary assists and was arguably one of their top players. Um, and Brandon Hagel, alongside Kaner, did his thing per usual, being strong on the forecheck, using those wheels, being good in transition. Uh, and then Henrik Borgstrom. I think he may have found a new potential home here next to Patrick Kane. He's put together back-to-back impressive performances now, in my opinion, and uh, he had a real good look there late in the second period that he just wasn't able to stuff home. Uh, But the Hawks, they've been trying to get a consistent center iceman next to Kane all season long. So if Borgie, if he can be that man, if he can fill that hole, that would certainly be uh, a big addition to the top six and also a very welcome one at that, considering the offensive struggles that the Blackhawks have gone through this year. All right, there are some more stats and thoughts 
for last night's loss to the Avalanche. Coming up in just a moment, I am going to discuss the Hawks' losing streak reaching five games and what comes next with an 11-17-5 record and being 11 points back of a playoff spot. But first, I need to talk to you all about betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. BetOnline has you covered all season on more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season in the NFL and NCAA continues to march towards the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head on over to our new updated desktop or mobile website and sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN, one word in all caps, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, the NHL, NBA, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN, that's one word in all caps, to receive your bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, getting into segment three now on the show this morning. Before I let you all go for the rest of the day, I want to talk about the Blackhawks' current five-game losing streak and kind of what to expect now as the season progresses towards the midway point. We're now 33 games into the season, folks, and a couple of days into the new year, and the Blackhawks are 11-17-5. and five. Technically, they've lost 22 of 33 games, 66%. And they also are currently 11 points back of the Edmonton Oilers for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anyone, but the odds of making the playoffs here for the Chicago Blackhawks are pretty slim, let's face it. Overall, the Western Conference is pretty competitive top to bottom, probably a deeper group as a whole than the East, in my opinion. The East has a lot of the top-heavy teams, but top to bottom, I think the West is probably the better conference. Um, And not only are the Hawks 11 points back of the Oilers for that final playoff spot, but they also have five teams ahead of them at the moment, and they're also five points back of the next closest team. It is not looking good. And I spoke before this past weekend how... It was so crucial for the Hawks to get off to a good start in 2022, and so far, the exact opposite has happened. They've dropped all three games now, and they also only have three points in their last five games overall, dating back to their final two before the Christmas pause. And they just simply can't afford to have stretches like this right now, after such a disastrous month of October. So, the moral victory here, you know, of fighting hard and overcoming adversity against a really strong team, well, yeah, you know, all of that is great. It just doesn't really mean anything or mean nearly as much when the team, you know, when they're 11-17-5, when they need to be coming away with two points more times than not right now. That's what's making it so frustrating that, oh, we put up a great effort against Colorado last night, but we needed two points. That's the bottom line. That's the situation we're in. And 
The Blackhawks, while it was good that they came out with at least one, it was an impressive fight, they need more. That's not going to cut it. And with things heading this way, there are already starting to be reports coming out about the Blackhawks reaching the selling phase once again as we're getting into the midway point of the season. David Pagnota was on the NHL Network the other day, and he reported that defenseman Calvin DeHaan is someone to start keeping an eye on here. Being in the last year of his current deal at $4.5 million, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent come summertime, and there's probably a slim to none chance that he'll be given an extension from the Hawks when they have, you know, plenty of money decisions coming up in the next couple of years. They could probably use that $4.5 million off of their books. You know, it just kind of only makes sense to think about moving to Han at this point. And honestly, I, I kind of figured that the Blackhawks were going to move on from DeHaan last summer. You know, he just seemed like a guy first. It, I thought he was probably going to go to Seattle in the expansion draft. Um, the Blackhawks did wind up leaving him unprotected, but the Kraken, you know, decided to go with the salary cap route. They just wanted to leave themselves as many options as possible. Uh, and also, with the signing of Jake McCabe, I just wasn't sure if the Hawks needed both those two guys on their blue line. Also, considering how there are a couple of prospects that are trying to make the jump in the next couple of years on the back end. So it's not really a big shocker or anything to hear that Calvin DeHaan could be on the move, as sad as it would be, I will say, because uh, he is a really great guy who, uh, if you go to practice, you hear him hooting and hollering. He's always having a good time with his teammates and stuff. Um, But it does only make sense, you know, to start thinking about that route with DeHaan. And then there's also Marc-Andre Fleury, who... Uh, of course, has been involved in trade discussions here for the past couple of weeks. Um, but as expected, it, it sounds like the Blackhawks are going to do him his right and kind of allow him to dictate how all of this is going to go. Whether or not he does want to move his family again, it's up to him, you know, if he wants to go out and try to pursue another Stanley Cup. Uh, but that's a more far complicated situation than Calvin DeHaan. Um, but don't be surprised. There, there's just so many variables involved. You know, Flurry and his contract, what the Blackhawks want to do. Does he want to continue playing? Uh, what will a team give up for him? How much money are the Hawks going to retain? There's a lot of variables in there. Um, but don't be surprised to hear more of these uh, conversations in the next couple of weeks surrounding the Chicago Blackhawks unless they're able to put together, you know, some sort of miracle run or winning streak here because... Things just do not look good right now as their losing streak has now officially reached five games. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that will wrap up Wednesday, January 5th's episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Bets podcast, which is hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and even Lee Sterling's lock of the day by just simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to check out Lockdown Bets right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. 
You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or you can also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.